There's a long stretch of lonesome highway through western Colorado. Nothing but dirt, pinion shrubs, and hills for miles and miles in every direction. It's a forsaken, sweltering landscape, uninhabitable to all but the most resilient. Yet if you drive by in mid-June, look closely, you may see them. You may see the desert rats. A small band of runners, support crew, and medical workers soldiering on one step at a time through hellish heat and desolation. In fact, the Coco only goes one direction. You're committed. You're all in on this. There's no way out except through it and sharing that in a place that is so stunningly beautiful and doing something that is so physically and emotionally rewarding, it will change you. There's no way to get through that being the same person as when you came in. And that's a special thing. Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast, the summer replay edition. Um, I am very excited for this week's episode. Uh, it's pretty obvious if you've listened to the show before that over the years, um, I have been pretty much completely enamored by the Deseret stage race. Uh, and <laughs> to the point that my wife is like, there are two drinking games in the Like a Bigfoot podcast. It's when you say, awesome, dude. And it's also when you mention the Desert Rats stage race, uh, which would be a terrible idea. Don't do that everyone out there listening that's a like it will be it will end poorly for you um <laughs> but i love this race it's the biggest adventure i've been on it's the biggest race i've taken on um obviously i've enjoyed it to the point where last year we went out and filmed it and this year the race is going on right now as we speak the runners are about to engage in the long stage uh the 42 mile day uh which is really exciting and i have to say me and uh my friends who have done this race before um we've been texting all week and we've totally had the uh the fear of missing out and we do feel like we're missing out on a, a giant piece of our lives this week which is uh which is kind of funny so for me to help me out with that, uh, I'm putting together this podcast where basically I'm taking six different stories uh, from different people um, over the years that I've done episodes about the Deseret stage race. Uh, I picked out my six of my favorite stories. Um, we'll put them on here. Hopefully it'll give you an idea of what this event entails. Um I'm actually going to head out there on Friday and I'm going to watch the finish on Saturday. There's a bunch of people uh, who we ran with or who we filmed last year or I've ran with before um, taking on the race this year. Uh, I wanted to be there at the finish line. 
um, to cheer them on. So that's super, super exciting. Um, I also get the opportunity. I'm going to show like eight ish minutes of our film, um, to the group at the end in like the big awards banquet. So, um, super nervous about that, but I watched the eight minutes that we picked out and I'm like, dude, th this is going to be awesome. So, all right, let's get into the episode. The first story I picked out is probably the one to me that captures uh, what I think about this race the most. You know, it's funny. Um, obviously, I have my own experience. I had my own things that I was working through while going out there. Um, but I think a huge part for me was hearing the stories from the other racers i think that like affected me the most actually like i would be able to hear other people's adventures um and experience it with them in a weird way uh and i as i think back and i'm like why did i why did we like why did we decide to go out and film it and i was like i think it's because i had this fascination with what these other people who I camped with and got to talk with and knew had this fascination of what they went through out on the trail. And I think it all, that whole fascination started with my friend Paul, uh, out in the desert running out of water. So let's get into that story. Ten miles in on that second day and, and we dropped down into that, canyon that was so hot because there was no wind uh and it was the first time that i ever just realized the true power of the desert because i always felt like i could kind of you know with some wisdom and some you know patience and kind of back off and you know take assessments of things and you know properly hydrate and that kind of stuff and i'd always be okay um but this was our longest stretch between aid stations and i've started to run out of water um and there was no there was no wind in there at all. And so it was just this kind of still hot box, you know? Um, and I realized I'm like, okay, I'm, my brain's only working at about 60% capacity right now. I'm kind of sluggish, you know? Uh, and I happened to be fall. I, I I'd happened to be cruising for a little bit. I mean, we weren't, you know, we were kind of back and forth and we weren't really paired up with, uh, Scott Scarpino, I believe his last name is, I'm probably butchering it, but from Florida, super dude. And, um, and so I kind of fell in with him and, and we weren't talking, but I was looking at the back of his feet and I was just like, just focus on the back of his feet and follow him. <laughs> um, for about five minutes, I was playing, you know, just this kind of survival mode of like, I got to get my wits back about me. Uh, and he said to me, he goes, Hey man, you need any water? And at that point I had like, you know, a third of a flask left. And I said, no, I'm good. I'm good. It's only a few miles to the next aid station. So I drank down the rest of the flask. And then just what was so fascinating to me, because, again, I, you know, I've, I've had some experience in these desert races, but I've never had an experience like this where, you know, really, if you looked at the numbers, I had hydrated properly. And yet all of a sudden, within like three minutes, my mouth and lips and tongue went from lubricated to as arid as, pop, as could be. Right. I mean, it was literally like, you know, those guys like Chevy Chase and the three amigos where they're like drinking sand. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was thinking I, I, of the, uh, third Indiana Jones where he chooses poorly and then just turns into a skeleton. I was imagining your lips doing that. 
that's exactly what it was. <laughs> but, but well, you know, it's amusing now. But I mean, I yeah. like I, it's I, terrifying I in the like, moment. Yeah, and, and and I couldn't talk. I literally like my my tongue was so dry. I was talking like this. And uh, and so I said to Scott, I said, you know, and I didn't know Scott from Adam, but I said, hey man, uh, maybe I'll pick you up on that uh, in my dry tongue voice. And he's like, sure, man. And he pulls out his entire flask. You know, he had his bladder and a couple of flasks, and he had he had been moderating his drinking better than me. And he handed me a whole flask, and I go, well, is this cool? I mean, you know, you got your, I need to get a look out at you. And he's like, no, I'm good, man. Uh, and he said, we'll stick together. And so that's when we really started talking, yeah. right? And, and I think he was looking after me, you know, and he just started talking about anything that was interesting to me. And then we started going on these weird tangents because the desert was boiling both our brains. <laughs> um, and he got me into that aid station and cooled me down. And I, and I, and I recomposed myself. And, you know, uh, I don't usually like stopping at aid stations. I like to keep moving. But that one I sat still for about 15 minutes and got some ice and everything and kind of got back on my feet. And it was really in large, large, large part because of him, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, at the end, you know, when we had the, 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 the speech you're talking about, when everyone was getting up and talking about what they love so much about the race and the, and the post-race meeting, you know, he, you know, I just said, look, man, we all come out of the desert and we're all looking for, you know, to be blown away, right? We're, we're looking for those amazing things in terms of desert vistas and, and very often we're looking we're looking inwardly too to to kind of have those inner fireworks and revelations and you know you know that sort of thing. I mean, there's a reason like dudes like Jesus went into the desert, man. It makes you it makes you contemplate it. It makes you think. And and it occurred to me, you know, it's like you know the astonishing you know magnificent things that I saw were you know not the desert. It was nothing within me. It was it was within the heart of other people. You know, I mean that dude gave me his lifeblood. You know, I mean, he literally gave away his water and, you know, he could just have easily been in the shit a few minutes later because of it. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's just beautiful, man. It's just like we need more of that in the world. And so, you know, that's going to be you know, easily one of the top three things that I remember forevermore about this race is just this dude. I don't know from Adam from the other side of the country who just says, here, take my water. I'll be all right. And, and to me, that's just beautiful. Yeah. Oh, me too, man. Me too. That I mean, that sums up the experience. In to me, it sums up the experience because it's just everyone formed such a tight bond because of this extreme circumstance. It felt like. Yeah, and and you know, I guess you know the current kind of divisive you know backdrop we have in this country. You know, everybody thinks everything's irreconcilable, and you know that side and this side, you know, there is no common ground between, between people or anything. And, and you forget that that's not necessarily true intrinsically. I mean, we're all, you know, up, when we're up against it, we look out for each other, man. And that's just such a, a welcome and beautiful thing. I love that story so much. And I can listen to Paul talk for hours and hours and hours. Um, and what's the word? Pontificate. I feel like he can pontificate with the best of them. Um, so, yeah, that was amazing. So, like I said, I think that really captures the spirit of the whole thing. Um, next, I kind of want to go into my very first kind of reaction to the event or whatever, whatever you call it, like a race report or race review. Um, and there's 
one of the things I love about alternating is just the swing of emotions from like some of this sport is ridiculous and some of it is super deep and super serious. Um, there's a great movie uh, called Once is Enough by Jeffrey Benny. Uh, highly suggest watching it because I think he captures this aspect so very well. Um, but my first year, uh, you know, I was out there experiencing it, experiencing learning these lessons, these deep life lessons, um, while also trying to process grief from an event in my life. Um, so I'm going to play two clips right now. Uh, both of them actually. So what I did the first year is I recorded a couple of thoughts out on the trail and then I played them for me and my buddy Brady to kind of talk about for the podcast. Um, and so the first clip I'm going to play you is the ridiculousness of ultra running in the desert when it's freaking hot. <laughs> and the second one I'm going to play you is Brady and I talking about really how going out there into the wilderness helped me process um, kind of a major life tragedy uh, that that I've had. And I was dealing, I mean, I'm still, obviously, you don't, you still deal with these big events every single day. But up until the moment I ran this race, I was like, I had one perspective on it and somehow just being out in nature by myself um, with this focus let me shift my perspective so let me play this these last two were clips as i was walking to the porta potty just for people to get a scene in their head um oh, we bathed in the river there which was so great um super fun hilarious as always at camp but okay all right back at camp um I meant to record more today, but uh, it was exhausting. So 38 miles, um, finished in like nine hours and something. So that was cool. Um, the last eight miles were a beast. It was exactly what you want from the desert. Uh, just desolate and like never-ending roads. So... Uh, yeah, man. Feel pretty good about to go eat some dinner. I guess one... I was trying to think of like... I was trying to remember what happened today, to be honest. And I was like, what happened today? I ran with, uh, ran with Paul for about four hours of it. And I just remember at one point I had this ice bag. Like ice in a plastic bag under my hat. And the ice had all melted, and I was like, oh, I really want to open that bag, but I don't want to stop and take my hat off. And then I had a crazy idea where I was like, what if I just stab that bag with my pocket knife, and then it'll, like, burst like a balloon and spray all over. And uh, luckily, sanity clicked in, because I was like, no, dude, you'll just be stabbing yourself in the head. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, th that was definitely the weirdest. That was the weirdest Thank thought you. I had all week. Look at you over Skype. Like I hope that you realize this is a yeah tragic mistake. I hope I, this story doesn't lead to you stabbing yourself. In I the contemplated top of the head. it seriously for like thirty seconds, 
not to put me out of my misery, but because I was like, that would feel so good if I just got cold. And then I was like, yeah. So that was definitely the craziest thought I had. But it is true. I, I had a trouble remembering 30 that day, day two. Like, I blanked a lot of it. Stage four, I had a purpose and I had a why that I was running for. And uh, there was a bit of like emotion at one part. So um, it's probably the most open I'll probably I probably have ever been on the podcast. So but I, I've decided to play it anyways, because I think it's important for it's important to share that aspect because I know a lot of people were going through similar things. And uh, if you're listening out there, like people probably are going through about taking this time to myself in silence especially this day the other days i ran with people pretty much the whole time this day i was really trying to purposely be by myself um because i wanted to figure i wanted to take some time to process some things um and when i say i turned around and the view of the desert at that point was so pretty and the whole day, day was pretty but that especially because you turned around and you just saw this flat wasteland that you had just gone through on your own two feet <laughs> and it was breathtaking um wow all right so let's get into this one all right still not to the second aid station um not sure what mile i'm at at this point it doesn't matter i'm just gonna keep going um just stopped and did some self-maintenance i set my alarm for 45 minutes took a electrolyte put on some lip balm with sunscreen drank a bunch of water ate some food feeling pretty good so far um we got to the top of this beautiful like the best view of the trip so far and uh i got a bit emotional um i'm running today I have names, some names written on my hands. I got my daughters and my wife. Um, and I, I lost someone a couple years ago, uh, seven years ago. And I've been thinking about her a lot this morning because there's a lot of, whenever I think about her, there's a lot of negative emotions with anger and grief and all that stuff that comes with loss and I'm just I'm trying to uh, to change that paradigm in my mind and think about all the beautiful wonderful moments when she was around um, and I got up to the top of that and I was thinking how many years has it been and I realized it was 2011 so seven years ago and my number just randomly assigned for this race is number seven and I just uh, I wish I could have shown her that view and uh, I was angry and then I realized what if what if she's with me right now and she can see that view whenever she wants and uh, it made me happy so um 
it was a beautiful moment. This is the best moment of the race so far. I can't cry or I'll get dehydrated. <laughs> um, all right, so I'm going to power my way through this aid station. So, yeah, man. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that was that was the definite. There's I, a lot going on there, man. There is, There's... and I, I can tell right now my heart's, like, beating out of my chest. I'm, I haven't talked about this on the podcast and i've debated actually quite a bit with myself as to whether or not to talk about it um but i think i know i know for a fact there were people in the race going through the same thing and uh people who are probably struggling with their own loss um and any loss is hard, man. Any loss, I don't. It's it's all hard. But uh, uh, so just you know, we don't have to go into this a whole bunch. But in 2011, um, Lindsay and I lost uh, our our baby daughter. Um, Lindsay was like seven months pregnant. Um, one day, couldn't find the heartbeat, uh, and she was stillbirthed on Christmas Eve. So we got a be with her Christmas Eve. Um, but it was such a short moment, man. And, uh, it's, it's <clears throat> when you're grieving with somebody, you're processing it on, you know, in your own way. But there's also a part of you that's like, I need to support this person. I was so worried about Lindsay that, I mean, I did, there were moments of processing and things like that, but like, you're so worried about your partner and you want them to feel okay that it's like you don't take the time. And I'm sure Lindsay's the same exact way with me, but it's like, you don't take that time truly to yourself to really try to, I guess, process. And I don't want to say heal cause dude, you don't heal from it. You just, you're, there's always going to feel like there's a part of you missing um, it's going to feel like you're, it was the weird, like your road went into a completely different direction. Um, and you think about that path that you could be on right now. <clears throat> um, you know, if she would have been alive and, uh, it's hard, dude, it's, it's really hard to struggle with. Um, I don't even remember where I was going with that. Uh, <laughs> um, Oh, this is where I was going. Well, I think I think the well go ahead. I so every time I've I've it's like after that, you know, you'd think about her and you think about her every single day. Like every day, you know, sometimes longer than other times, but she's in your mind every single day. And I was I've been like kind of ashamed of myself because I haven't talked about her that much um and when i think about her i just get really angry or really sad and i remember everything horrible that was involved in that experience like everything as, as if it's just happening right now and i was like that's that's so disrespectful to her and her memory like don't you don't want to just solely fixate on these negative on the 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 sadness the grief the falling on the floor and just like a like a just howling like you don't just just solely focusing on those memories is not a way to honor her 
And so going into the, the long day, I was like, today is going to be the day I change that. And today is going to be the day that I change my thoughts around her. And her name's Dylan. So it's, today's the day I change my thoughts around Dylan. And I consciously was focused on letting those memories. I don't want to say letting them go because they'll always be with me. The memories of of everything that went into that, that was just absolutely devastating and heartbreaking. Um, you don't let those go. But I was like, I need to start focusing on all the moments she made me so unbelievably happy. Like, like when she waved at me in the ultrasound or when I got a holder and watch Christmas movies with her. And like, those were the moments I'm like, I want to remember those. I don't want to remember. I don't want every time I think about her or, you know, hear the name Dylan. I don't want those to, I don't want it to be sad. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be angry about it anymore. And I know those are going to happen in the future. I know I like, this didn't magically heal me or anything like that, obviously. But Mm -hmm. it did start kind of, it felt like it started a pathway in my brain. It's like, I'm going to remember her and I'm going to smile about it and honor her in that way because the other way is not honoring her memory. Does that make sense? Mm. So that was heavy. Yeah, it does. I just threw that at you, dude. I didn't prepare you for that. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, no, I mean, I, we've been friends for a long time. So I'm, I'm aware of like some of those trials that you had to go through, but the, it's interesting. You talk about like the raw nerves that you experience when you do an endurance race like that, and like that's a it's a common thing that comes up. And there's different ways that you talk about it, but there's really no way to describe um, how raw those nerves can get and then what can come up. Especially like you said, without headphones and there's no distracting. You're just kind of like taking in all those thoughts at once. So I'm sure throughout that race and then maybe at a very specific time and place there, like those thoughts and memories came up. And if part of it, part of that thought process was, Hey, when these things that we look, we, we, we look back on and it's like a thing that we avoid. Yeah. <laughs> but and it's not a thing that we like to look back on. You avoid or you distract yourself or, or happiness. Yeah. Um, but but you can also carve out pathways in your mind that says like, but there was happiness in those moments. And like, there were, there were pleasant thoughts. when we look back on these things, if we, if we, if we choose to look at them that way. Um, and so it sounds like you were going through some of those thoughts <laughs> out yeah. there, which is ooh, a, a, a wild place to be. But I wanted, um, I wanted to do it intentionally. Like I intentionally wanted like, no distractions today. This is, you're going to, this is on, like, this is what you're going to do to honor her. And like, this is going to power you through this. And this is what you're going to focus on because you're right, dude. Like you'll think about someone you lost and it, it's, it's a loss. You didn't want it. You know, you didn't want to lose them. So it's like you 
instantly are like, I don't want to think about this right now. I want to distract myself. I want to, um, I want to be angry because I'm like pissed off that I lost this person who shouldn't have been lost. And, and then eventually you're like, I don't like being mad. I don't like being angry. I don't like being sad. So like, I guess I'm just going to avoid thinking about her altogether. And that's not healthy either. Um, and so it was just really trying to, and like I said, it's a constant process. Like, you know, healing, you don't always, you don't ever heal all the way from any sort of loss. And if you're out there like listening to this, it doesn't matter what the loss is. It doesn't like any loss is freaking horrible, man. It could be your grandma who's like a hundred years old, you know, but like, that's terrible too. Cause you always were just like, oh, I thought grandma was always going to be around, you know? So like everyone's losses, their own personal thing, but it's, it's not, it, it's hard no matter what. And you're never going to heal oh. from it all the way, but you can at least, you can at least not shut it out. And well, the, the impermanence of human life is going to be a kind of a shock throughout our lives forever. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's not, a new story is not some of that sometimes like this thought gives me comfort when you're dealing with just like these bigger human questions and these bigger human dramas that occur every day all over the place is that this is not an original story that this no. story has been lived by so many people so many times before that I'm gonna make it through because so many other people did as well yeah. but it doesn't make it any less more any less trying or difficult or less tragic yeah and I, I know it's weird to be like i'm gonna run through the freaking desert to heat like try to heal <laughs> you know but i know people i know people were doing the same thing um you know we're all it's it just allows you that break from society to really consider things that you would normally avoid i guess does that make sense so that hopefully shows kind of the deeper reason and meaning that i was seeking by heading out there um and the reason why i played that is because i want you to understand that a lot of people are going out and doing these things whether it's this race or whether it's you know running 100 miles or or doing some big adventure because they do have like this deeper meaning or this deeper emotion they're trying to process. Um, and I think that's definitely a commonality. It's definitely something we try to explore in our film, uh, which hopefully you're able to see sometime in the near future. Um, <laughs> that's your update. Uh, the next two, I'm going to play the next two stories right in a row. Um, and speaking of the film, spoiler alert, you're going to see all of these people in it. They all ran the race with me originally in 2018, uh, and they were all back for 2021. Uh, but I think these clips will show just the tenacity um, the, the, and, the, and the really harshness of the race, like how hard it really is, and the tenacious spirits that step up to take it on. So the first one is with uh, these amazing human beings, these two sisters, Amy and Mikey. Um, 
This story is from stage two, uh, which is the 38 mile day, arguably the hardest day. It's the most exposed, the hottest, uh, and it's this brutal, never ending road uh, that they're walking down. And the second story is from our friend Phil Pinty. Uh, and it's from the fourth day, which is also a very difficult day. You climb up into the mountains and uh, he just has to power through. He forgets to eat his sandwiches. We've talked about this story so many times with Phil, uh, but you got to eat your sandwiches, man. I think my first problem is when I talked about just sort of the relentless um, heat. You just, you just thought, there's just no way I can do this. But I told him, I told Nikki, let's stop asking because whatever it is, we have to get there. Like there's not, it doesn't matter if it's a mile or 10 miles. We have to walk there. There's no option. So it was just stop asking. And so then we just started chatting again and we got to the aid station and, and um, my sister's there. And I was shocked. For, at this time, 5'10", the cutoff, as you know, was 3.30. And I said, um you know, what are you doing here? And she was clearly not 100%. And she just told me that she had been fine on the asphalt, but about a mile in, Jean-Michel went ahead of her, and she just sort of lost steam. And so she had really struggled, but she had gotten there, I think she said, they said 420, 430, something like that. And she was just trying to recover. So she thought she would wait for me, and then I would go with her. And I said, we missed the cutoff. We're done. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm going the whole, I'm doing every mile. And I'm like, I'll get emotional about this. But I said, uh, I can't. I can't do 10 more miles. We were at 28 and a half. We had to go to 39. And I said, I just, I know I don't have it in me. And I don't want you to do it because I don't want you to die. Yeah. And she was clearly not, I don't know if you've seen people who have it exhaustion drunk drunkenness or the heat drunkenness i didn't know what it was caused by but she couldn't tire her uh, bandana she was she picked her pack up and left her emergency kit um she was just kind of out of it and knowing i can liken it to have you ever been around a drunk person who thinks they're going to go somewhere and they got one shoe on and they can't find their car you know why not you know you're like you shouldn't be driving, you shouldn't be walking, you shouldn't be out in the state. And so I just, I'm her older sister, and I know what my parents, I was like, I feel like I have to go with her to make sure she's okay, but I, I didn't feel like I was capable. And I was, I said to her, I can't go, and I want you to stay. Just please stay. We already missed the cutoff. Please stay. And she said, I'm doing every mile. I came back. I'm doing every mile. I don't care about the medal. I don't care about the finisher's rock. I just have to do every mile. And I said, okay. And as I'm begging her not to go, I know she's going to go. So I was trying to cool her down. I poured water on her head. I wrapped up in those blanket things that were all wet. I got ice for her. I made sure she didn't leave her emergency kit. And they were laughing because I was doing this because it seems like a contradiction. But anybody who has kids knows this dilemma you feel of, I disagree with your decision. I don't want you to do it. But I understand that you're going to do it. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you succeed at it. Yeah. And that's how I felt. was just, I didn't want her to go. I was terrified something bad was going to happen to her. 
the medical people said, look, we'll take care of her. We won't, we'll, nothing will happen to her. And um, all I could hear was like my dad in my head, you know, you better take care of her. You better you know, make sure nothing happens to her. But I knew in my heart that I couldn't go another 10 miles. I, I mean, maybe I could if I stayed there and rested for an hour or whatever, but I knew I couldn't have a cup of ginger ale and, and, and walk out with her. I couldn't do it. And, um, and she, she was going. So that's what happened. And then I was just wrapped with guilt for, I don't know, four and a half hours till she got back. Yeah. <laughs> and I put up our tent and made her a cheeseburger so she'd have food when she got back and, um, and then I walked, Damon, one of the medical guys who took care of her the year before, he said, hey, I, I was here last year when she DNF'd the first day. I want to walk in with her. But Mikey didn't do it for the medal. And and I knew that. They knew that. She was finishing. She just wanted to tell. She wanted to know for herself that she could do every mile. I feel like in, in when you're an adult in the in the real world, so to speak, like you don't really get that feeling that much anymore. Like you and I both have young kids and whether it's the first day of school or it's summer camp or whatever, like kids are constantly being thrown into like new situations with new people. And you, you have to be open. You have to be accommodating and respectful and like all those things to like make new friends. And I just felt like from the very beginning, like the van ride out there was just a precursor of the entire week, the experience that we shared together. Um, but definitely, Definitely Thursday for me personally, um, I think it was a culmination of just myself as well as you and everyone else that's been there. Like not many of us have run that many miles in that many consecutive days. So for like my body structure and just for the training that I had done and the, um, the altitude and the elevation that we covered just in Thursday alone, I really think that like started to add up and uh, my muscles as well as like, you know, I don't want to get all too scientific, but just like maximizing, you know, oxygen and everything like that. But Thursday, um, it got to a point where like I was willing myself to keep running and, and everything. And, you know, I kept putting one foot in front of another, but um, starting in the later wave well, no, actually, I think I started in the earlier wave that day. Um, no, I lie. I, it was a later wave, but you, it's a very, the feelings of like isolation and just the unforgiving heat and um, just isolation of just being out in the desert and not seeing like a familiar face for, I think it was like a good two hour stretch that I, I didn't see anybody. And the, uh, the strategic planning, whether it was just by like the driveway or being able to get an aid station in there, you're going 12 and a half miles to an aid station and then another 12 and a half miles, you know, out of there. And, you know, it's practically a marathon with one, with one aid station in between in the middle of the Moab. And, you know, that is the heart and soul, I think of the entire race. And, um, and then to, be coming down the home stretch. I, I saw people take some pictures and, and whatnot of the sunset that day. And just to be coming down that road and knowing that like these people that I just met were like waiting and 
having dinner and rehashing stories from the day and everything like that. Like that just kept me my drive alive. And uh, it was just great to finally, <laughs> to finally get into camp at the end of the day. But yeah, yeah. that was one of my favorite moments is when you came into camp that day, uh, you know, cause it was dark out and you're watching people come in and you're seeing headlights, but you can't really tell who's coming into camp. And mm-hmm. just like, it's just, you rooted for everybody. You're like, Oh my God, like I can't wait for, you know, Phil to come into camp. Like it's going to be so awesome. And then to see you finally come in, dude, and you like sprinted, we all made a tunnel and you sprinted through. And I knew, I know you didn't like, you probably felt exhausted and tired and stuff, but you like totally sprinted through with like the happiest look on your face. And then instantly walked over to a chair, propped your feet up, and just laid down for God knows how long. I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, part of it was I once once nightfall, you know, ascended on us there. Um, I, I really wanted to run a good portion of that drive in, but like I tried for a little bit. There was like rocks and stuff like that. The last thing I want to do on that day is like twist my ankle or something. But yeah. you know, from the eight or eight thirty start time and then coming in after 11 PM, like, like I said, I mean, I've never, I've done 50 milers and, um, you know, you feel exhausted and you feel like it can't go on, but you keep pushing. But like, that's a feeling I've never, I've never felt before. Like, um, you have, I mean, I've raced against like cutoffs and stuff like that, but I mean, to be, to be physically exerting yourself, in the desert with very little cover or no cover, um, you're practically responsible for all of your hydration and food for the entire day. And, um, it's almost like my body went into like, (laughs) into like shutdown mode or something. Like I just, I couldn't, I was hungry, but I couldn't eat. I felt like I was going to like start like dry heaving probably cause I didn't like, I didn't first bonehead mistake was like, I didn't eat my sandwich that I had packed for that day. Um, and yeah, man, it was just a culmination of like, Holy crap. I made it. But holy crap. Like I'm just so exhausted right now. So far, I think we have a pretty good summary of the event. Uh, and the last two segments we're going to put in is really just about the community community that forms during this. Um, I know a lot of the people, a lot of the racers will tell you that the weirdest part, but also the coolest part is that you start the week on Sunday night, going to the racer meeting. You don't know anybody. And I'm sure it's this way for a lot of stage races, but you don't know anybody. You're just sitting there. You're a group of strangers. And then through this week, through these experiences, through this adventure and through this beautiful wilderness that you're traveling through, it kind of forges a community. And the next two stories hopefully kind of give you an idea about how this forms and why this forms. Uh, Both these stories are from the end of the week. Uh, The first one is going to be during this insane freezing cold somehow rainstorm in the middle of the desert uh at about 2 a.m um in camp uh the night before the last day so the night before it's going to be a marathon and you've already ran over 100 100 miles at this point and you're sore and you're beat up and you're tired 
and then this giant storm hits camp and you gotta you you well you'll see what happens in the story um and then the second one is on the very last day um when my friend thomas uh got stuck with the big giant boulder as a joke and what happened afterwards is one of my favorite things that have that has ever happened in any athletic event for me like it was so awesome is one of i mean i don't know if that's what's hyperbole but if it is i'm saying it and my wife's like you do that all the time you're always like, this is my favorite coffee on a Monday morning when it's raining out. And <laughs> but anyways, this is my one of my favorite uh, athletic events I or athletic moments that I've ever had um, doing any of these things. Ridiculous mass chaos, wind and rainstorm at like one o'clock in the morning. I just knew that like. Reed's gonna figure it out and then sure enough you hear his voice and see like the headlamps and they've like got the duct tape and they're duct taping tent poles back together and like <laughs> you were out there like hammering and tent stakes so that nobody blew away what was your guys reaction in the tent because I just I remember you guys I heard you guys talking and it was cracking me up <laughs> we were like giggling I just woke up and I was like are we in Oz like what's going on because we had I think they said like 40 to 60 mile an hour winds and nobody really like knows, but we kept having our tent because there were four of us. Our tent was blowing down to where the top of it was like legitimately like laying on like across all four of us. The tent poles had like (laughs) shattered like bamboo and I was so cold, which you don't, we didn't, nobody prepared for because it's in the middle of desert in the middle of summer. And I was like, I just hope the tent collapses and then it's like a blanket and it keeps us warm. Like <laughs> my thought process. And then, of course, we had Andrea in our tent and she kept waking up and trying to like push it back up. And then you hear like from across camp, somebody saying like, please, can I get some help? It was just mass chaos. And then everybody's like up and running around and headlamps are shining. And you kind of, you're also like still delirious and you're not working at a hundred percent. It was really cool to see everybody like come together when everybody wanted to sleep and everybody just wanted to like, cause we had, was that right before the big day? That was right before the mar- the last day, the marathon. So like everyone's okay, beat up, day. exhausted and you know. <laughs> <laughs> like man, it's almost over and we're stuck in this like windstorm. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, man, I got to just power through this somehow. Like you're just like the winds at that point of the week, the windstorm hits and the rainstorm hits and you're just kind of like, yep, this is really? just another thing. <laughs> yeah. Add it to the adventure. If it, if there were a low point, I think it was when I saw others suffering yeah. a great deal um, and struggling to get through the heat exhaustion um, foot issues, uh, different things like that. Uh, I surprisingly good time and good training, put it all together and didn't have much of a low point. That's awesome. High points. Oh, there were too many, uh, you know, to mention, (laughs) but I would say, um, the highest point for me involved you. And that's when we were on the last day running out on the porcupine rim. 
And, uh, of course, we were all running together and trying to get that sub-30-hour finish. And, you know, we have the, the rock that's out there with your name on it <laughs> that you got to bring back. And, of course, we had a little extra rock for Thomas, yeah, a big it, one. <laughs> I would call it a boulder almost. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> um, and I, I, I had a gut feeling that that's what was going to happen. And <laughs> that was no light rock, as you uh, recall. <laughs> and uh, I already had big plans for you. Uh, you were running along with me and, uh, I thought, you know, I was going to include Jay on that too, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. he got away from us. <laughs> but um, smashing that rock to pieces and then asking you to help me lug this burden back to the aid station, uh, and you gladly obliged. Yeah, you know, you, you didn't hesitate. You were willing to help me carry that heavy rock all the way back. And I don't think the race guys were expecting <laughs> us to break it up and, you know, do teamwork on it yeah. to get it back but i thought that was really special and uh kind of you you know we ran together on that last day and pushed each other and uh took good care of each other but Dude. i would say that was probably the highest point for oh sure. yeah that was definitely one of mine too like that last day i just all, i just was like my mission is to see make sure thomas like to admit to see you get under five hours and i was like i'm I want to see it, you know, I want to be with him and like watch him finish under five hours. And I know he's going to just totally kick butt. And, and for, I don't know, it's just, it was such a cool race because you, you're genuinely rooting for everyone to be as successful as they possibly can be. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a, just a great dynamic group dynamic. You couldn't have picked a better group of people to go, running across the desert out there, like you said, everyone for everyone, rooting, yeah. cheering on, supporting, laughing, and, you know, crying together at times. It was just fantastic. It was so cool, man. And now you have that sweet rock as a memento. I do. <laughs> also, I have to say, when, you, when you're like, I got a plan, and I was like, then you threw it on the ground and smashed it, and I was like, oh, his plan is just to smash this rock. <laughs> <laughs> the cowboy hat has lost his mind <laughs> dude i have to also give you props like you go you when you're in race mode you're like so incredibly focused it's really cool to see it's very rare i go there anymore okay. you know you're so young you know you got a long way to go um you know i feel like at 45 i'm just out there to have a good time and meet new folks see new land um, you know, I, I, I'm not that competitive, yeah. but you know, when you're trying to make a time cutoff, um, and the under 30 hour, uh, award, I didn't even know that was a thing. So I was like, Oh, I got to get this, yeah. you know? Uh, so I was really motivated and fired up and you and Jay flanked both sides of me front and back. And y'all were like, we're going to get this done. Yeah. <laughs> and we did. That was so awesome, man. It was it was really, yeah, it was just such a neat experience to, uh, to like share with, with a group of people for sure. Yeah, it was but, awesome. All right. That wraps up this week's episode, this week's summer replay, number five, uh, very exciting for me. Um, hope you all enjoyed. This is one I've definitely 
really had fun with going back and and trying to find out find the clips uh this is more of a clip show really than like where i post a whole episode but this is one i had a lot of fun trying to find those clips and listening to the stories and i guess it is kind of interesting having been working on the film of this thing literally for a year now since last year um it's definitely that whole process has been peaks and valleys for me on my excitement levels. Um, mostly peaks, if I'm going to be honest. It's been mostly peaks, but there's definitely been moments where I'm like, oh my God, like I'm wiped out. But I'm such a geek about this race. And I feel like that geekdom really helped uh, stay persistent at it. Like, I just feel like it's amazing to me if someone made a film about something they weren't weren't inter- interested in. I'm like, how does that even happen, dude? Like the reason this happened is because we were all so excited for this event and to try to capture the essence of it, which I think the essence, hopefully after listening to this podcast, you have an idea of really what we're what we're trying to go for. Um with our film uh and by the way i did post an update on our facebook page uh i made a little video on monday that was kind of like here's what we've done here's where we're at here's the next steps uh we finished our edit so we have a complete edit of the film um and now we're doing the post-production sound mixing color correction um that kind of uh finishing touches uh and we're working with a uh, couple guys who are just absolute experts at it and it's so much fun to talk with them we had a phone conversation last night and i was so pumped after talking with them like i just i can't wait um but yeah but yeah i'm headed down to the desert tomorrow uh, i'm gonna do a little solo trip for a couple days uh and i will be at the finish line on saturday cheering these people on actually i want to drive up saturday to one of my favorite aid stations like way up in the mountains with a beautiful view of castle valley oh dude i just can't wait man it's funny like i as i drive west past grand junction and fruta you can see little bits of the trail from i-70 sometimes and i'm just like that's that place like to anyone i'm driving with i'm like that's where you run up that hill on the coca Pelli, and they're like okay dude <laughs> but uh but yeah so uh it should be good and we'll be back at you next week with another summer replay thanks for listening